Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received the commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered a God, or to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and be seated. We're uh, starting a brand new series today called By Faith, and uh, we're going to take a few moments here in this, in this message, and we're going to talk about what is real faith and begin looking at that. If you're a guest today, thank you for being here. Uh, we always have guests in our services, and we're so thankful that you're here. One of the things that I, I ask each week is that if you are a guest, would you mind taking, there's a little blue card right in front of you. It's called a Connect card. There should be a pen there. Would you fill that out and drop it in the offering box on the way out? Or better yet, bring it to me. I'd love to meet you. I'm going to send you an email this week just letting you know how to step a little bit further into this body and uh, some next steps. That would be very much appreciated. Uh, our members and regular attenders. So if you're a member and a regular attender, this is for you. I need you to make sure that you continue to be faithful with your, your tithes, your offerings, your gifts. Those matter. That, that helps us to continue uh, to take the gospel around the world and around Rutherford County. And so you continue to be faithful in that, not just so that ministry can happen, but so that we can be obedient to what the Lord has called us to be uh, and faithful stewards with the gifts that he has given us. Uh, there's a story uh, that I read this week about an atheist and a Christian who were having a debate, and it was more of a public debate. Um, and as they were debating, the atheist took the podium fo- first, and uh, he began to introduce himself, and he began to talk about not having belief in God, that he did not believe in God. He did not have faith in God. He said, my friend here is going to come up in just a moment, and he's going to try to convince you, and he's going to try to talk to you about having faith in God. He said, I don't have faith. He said, I have confidence, though. Not faith, but I have confidence. Well, the Christian came to his podium, and he said he thanked his friend, his atheist friend, for opening the door and thanked him for giving a very wide door for him to walk through. He said, you know, my friend here says that he is an atheist, that he doesn't have faith, but that he has confidence. He said, I would like to inform my friend that the word confidence comes from the Latin word meaning confide, meaning with faith. He said, everyone has faith. Everyone. And I want to say that to you also. You realize that all of us have faith. It's a matter of where we put our faith. It's a matter of what we place our faith in. We Many times you'll meet people who 
maybe even you today, you've put your faith in men, other people, people you would say or uh, they have value to you or you see them as an expert. Maybe you've put your faith in science. Maybe you've put your faith in money and retirement. Maybe you've put your faith in your parents or what you know. And yet, as followers of Jesus Christ, we've been called to place our faith in Jesus Christ. We've been called to place our faith in him. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, we don't quote Habakkuk too often. You want to write that down? Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 says this to us. It says that the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. Now, this passage from the Old Testament was a very uh, instrumental passage. You see it again in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, he quotes this verse uh, in his letter to to the church at Galatia as he's talking to the Galatians about the doctrine of salvation. Uh, Martin Luther quotes this verse. Uh, This verse is used over in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And this verse was very powerful in helping Martin Luther, the the great reformer, launch the Reformation when he began to realize that the righteous shall live by faith and faith alone. Author and pastor uh, Glenn Shrivener has written, he says this, he says, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Christ. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. You get to choose your miracle, which is true which is true. And so today, what we're going to begin to look at over the next several weeks, in fact, we're beginning our summer series today because we want you not to check out during summer. Yes, you've got to go on vacation. I get that. I'm going to be away for a week or so on vacation. You will also. But we want you when you're in town to be here because we're going to be walking through Hebrews chapter 11, the entire chapter we're going to walk through and we're going to be talking about what is faith? What does it look like? And we're going to be able to see from uh, that chapter some examples of people who had extraordinary faith. Faith and where did they place it and how did it cause them to live? Look at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 verse 6. We see that the Christian cannot live without faith. He has to have faith, faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, the scripture tells us, the writer of Hebrews tells us this. He says, without faith, you cannot please God. You cannot please God without faith. So we're calling this series by faith, by faith. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, if you've been a a studier of the scripture, you may have an idea. Many people have different ideas about who wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't fully know who did that. We have some leanings in different directions. But what we do know for a fact, though, is that Hebrews was written to a group of Christians who were being persecuted. They were ethnic, ethnically Jewish, and they were being persecuted uh, for their faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And as they were being persecuted, they were being persecuted by their fellow Jews, trying to get them to turn away from Jesus as Messiah, to come back to, to, to the synagogue, to come back to worship in the full Uh, obedience to the law because they had found freedom in Christ. 
And so what ends up happening is the writer of Hebrews begins to say, you have the ability, you can, because Jesus is greater, because he is greater than the law, because Jesus is the greater Moses, because Jesus is the greater sacrifice, because Jesus is greater than all, you have the ability to stand strong in the midst and in the face of a culture that is coming at you. And I would tell you that also today. Because of Jesus Christ, because of the free gift of faith, the gift that he gives you, the gift that when you surrender your life, when he opens your eyes and you respond in faith, we have the ability now to stand in the culture in which we're living by faith. The word faith in the New Testament, or excuse me, in the book of Hebrews, the word faith appears 31 times. The word faith appears 31 times in the book of Hebrews. It appears 24 times, though, out of that 31 times in chapter 11. So the writer of Hebrews, the writer of chapter 11, wants us to see all of these examples. He wants us to understand that we can stand in the day in which we live. We could stand today in the, in, in the in which we live. And so today, what we want to talk about, what I want you to see, two points. I want you to write these down real quick. These are going to guide our direction. Out of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, we're going to look at what real faith is. What is real faith? And once we see what real faith is, we're going to see that it produces a righteous life. A real faith a real faith that produce, produces a righteous life. So with that, let's talk about what a real faith is, beginning in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11. I'm going to read that again. It says, now, the, now faith is the assurance. If you mark in your Bible as you take notes, highlight, circle, underline that word assurance, all right? It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction, circle, highlight, underline something, the conviction of things not seen. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their, their commendation. The writer here gives you two parts. It's a two-part definition in, that, in verse 1. He, he says that it's being sure of something. That's the word assurance there. He says it's being sure of what you've hoped for and being certain of what you don't see. It's being sure of something that you've hoped for and being certain of what you can't see. You see, faith, real faith, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, real faith is not blind hope. It's not a leap. It's not a leap. It's an assurance. It's a certainty. It's a confidant. It's a confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. In fact, the root word for assurance here is from the Greek word that means to stand up under. It means to stand up under. It's the foundation of which we stand on. It's what our hope is built on. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness, his blood. Those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you've submitted your life. You've come under his blood on the cross that he died for you. That becomes our assurance, our certainty, our confidence is in him. 
It becomes our strong foundation, no matter what is coming our way. Because you remember, Hebrews was written to a group of Jews, ethnic Jews. Ethnically, they were, Christ, they were Christians, but they were ethnically Jews. They were being persecuted. And he says, listen, you have a sure foundation. You have a hope. You have assurance. You can have confidence in Jesus because he's greater. He alone is greater. I remember, I think somewhere around 2005, 2006, me and three men from LifePoint went on a, uh, a hiking expedition. We, went, we flew to Phoenix. We drove up to the Grand Canyon. We got to the Grand Canyon, and I, I'm thinking desert land. I mean, it's, it's Arizona. You're going to get to the Grand Canyon. There's going to be desert. It's going to be hot. And listen, when we got to the Grand Canyon, there was snow on the ground at spring break. I'm like, I'm not prepared for this. Uh, I've got like a 45-pound pack. I, was, I really was not prepared for this. I'm carrying this pack. We get to the bottom of the canyon, and by the time we get to the bottom of the canyon, it was 90 degrees, 90 degrees at the bottom. Well, we had planned to hike. We were going to spend two or three days down there. There is a ranch called Phantom Ranch that you can get a uh, reservation for, bunkhouse, all those things. Uh, we were late. We were not able to get our reservation. We, we knew we weren't going to be able to do that, so we took tents. I was carrying a little two-man tent, and uh, I was staying in a two-man tent with a guy who was 6'4". His name, uh, his name wouldn't matter to you, but he was 6'4". We're carrying this tent. We get down there, and they tell us when we get to the bottom, hey, there's going to be a storm that blows through. There's a thunderstorm that's going to happen tonight. Well, I'm thinking no big deal. I mean, it's, it's a little rain. What can happen? Have you ever been in downtown Nashville when the wind starts blowing between those buildings? I mean, it's like a gale that's coming through there. Multiply that times 10. We're in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. We're in a little two-man tent. Uh, I mean, I've got this pack. He's got probably a 40-pound pack. Two, I keep coming back, a two-man tent. Where I'm sleeping on, my head's on one end, his head's on the other end, his feet are here, my feet are there, and it starts to blow in. The tent is shaking. We grab our packs, we bring them in, we put them at either end, and we're holding on for dear life, just praying that this thing doesn't tumble us on down the canyon. Probably one of the scariest points I've been. You know, about two weeks ago, there was a storm, I don't know if you guys remember, that blew through Murfreesboro. Blew through probably around 2, 3 in the morning. I never heard it. My wife, we woke up the next morning, and Amy said, did you hear that storm? Did you hear all the lightning? The feel the, I mean, you could like feel the, no, I didn't, I, I didn't feel a thing. Never even, never even bothered me. Do you know why? The foundation on my home is strong. The building on my foundation. My house is a strong house, not like the tent that I was holding on to. You see, this is the assurance, the type of assurance that we have as followers of Jesus Christ because of our faith, our faith in Jesus Christ, the living word of God, who we now have his written word to help us to understand who it is that we follow. And the scripture tells us, the writer of Hebrews says this, that we can be assured of the things that we're hoping for, the things not seen. We can be convinced. We can have 
confidence. We can be sure that no matter what comes your way, we can stand strong because of the free gift of faith that God has given to us, that we have responded to in Christ. You realize, though, that that faith that we have, that faith that we have is not dependent on how strong you are. The faith that you have is dependent on the one who gives faith, okay? If I told you, if I told you, listen, for the next 12 weeks, as we're walking through this series called By Faith, if you won't miss one week, you're here every week, I'm going to give each of you a million dollars. Those of you who stay, who are here, I'm going to give you one million dollars. I guarantee you, those of you who know me are going, heck, he ain't got two dimes to run together. He's not going to give me a million dollars. There's no way. There's no way because I can't back that up. But if, if I had the ability to bring Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, and bring them here and say, hey, they have promised that they're going to guarantee that if you're here for 12 weeks in a row, you don't miss any, they're going to give you a million bucks. They're going to give each of you a million dollars. You then at that point would go, oh, okay, because you know they have the ability to back that up. That's a sure thing. That's a sure thing. I'm going to trust that because of them. This past week, uh, past weekend, uh, the Christian faith lost a giant of the faith for us. His name is Timothy Keller. Timothy Keller is, was the pastor and, of a church in New York City called Redeemer Presbyterian, an author. He's written many uh, strong books, an evangelist. Uh, some have called him America's pastor for the day. He has written and said this about faith. He says, if you're falling off a cliff, strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to a weak faith in a strong branch. Did you catch that? I want to read that one more time. I want you to hear this. He says, if you're falling off a cliff, strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Salvation is not finally based on the strength of your faith, but on the object of your faith. You realize that the faith that we have is a sure faith because of Jesus Christ, because of him. Not because of anything that we do, but because we trust in him. Because he walked this earth. He came at the right time. He lived a perfect life. He is the one who bore our sins upon the cross, who absorbed the wrath of God, So who was crucified, buried, rose again. The book of Hebrews tells us that today he is alive at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and me. That's why we can have faith. That's why we can have assurance. That's why we have security. It's because of him, not because of anything that we do, but because of him. He is our strong foundation. He is the foundation that is sure. Look with me one more time at verse 1. All of that, and we're just now at verse 1. The writer of Hebrews continues and says, as he's writing here, he says that faith is conviction of things not seen. It's a conviction of things not, not seen. That word conviction means certainty. Being convicted of these things doesn't mean that we have blind hope. It's not just a leap that we have. 
No, listen, this is something that's already been accomplished, something that we can know for certain, even though we cannot see God. We haven't seen God. We know for certain. Some of you may be going, I, you know, I've, I've struggled with that. How does that work? Well, in this room right now, I, I will guarantee you that in this room right now, you all experience love. You have love for someone Something, some person, some something you experience, but none of you can grab love. You can't measure it. You you can't hold on to it. But you know that that love is real. Gravity is the same way, right? Listen, you can't ha- you you can't grab it. You can't see it. You know it is real because when you've tried to defy it before, you end up on the ground. It is as real and as certain, whether you can see it or not. This is what our faith is. Our faith is certainty. That though we've not seen God, we've experienced God. We know him. Why do we know him? Because of his written word. It is true. This is where our real faith has come from because he has placed it in us as a gift of God. And now we begin to live that out and walk it in obedience. Verse 3 tells us this. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. By the spoken word of God, the universe was created so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The writer now appeals to our faith from creation. You see, he says, by faith you understand that the universe was created. Many people will want you to try to believe that there is a a disconnect between faith and science, that you have to choose one or the other. Listen, that is not true. You do not have to choose between one or the other. You know why? Because God created science. You don't have to choose between one or the other. And the longer that we live... If the Lord continues to tarry, what scientists begin to realize and see is that this word is true because their science lines up with the word of God. So he appeals not only to divine revelation, his word, his his word, which is true, which is our solid foundation. He appeals also, though, to himself through natural, through natural revelation, Psalm 19.1, write this down. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. Romans 1, 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly, you see this, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has that have been made so that we are without excuse you see god's written word his special revelation he says listen through through created order it screams that there is a creator It screams that there is a creator so that none of us can stand back and say, I didn't know. No, all the universe screams out that there is a creator. You recognize and realize, I'm sure, that there was no one present at creation, right? Only God himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he spoke it into existence, 
There was no scientist there to help us to understand, though he has many, he or she has many uh, hypotheses. So we all have to make deductions from somewhere as to how did all this happen? Where do we place our faith? For the believer, those of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ, we trust his written word, his revelation to us, given through the living word. We now have the written word that we can have assurance, we can have confidence, we can have certainty. This is where our faith, this is where real faith comes from. And that's not something that our world likes today. Our world deals in plurality. It deals in relevancy. That your truth is just as good as your truth, and your truth is just as good as my truth. But none of that flies for those of us who have real faith in Jesus Christ. Because our assurance, what we stand on, our absolute, the truth comes from the word of God. And it screams to us, it cries out, come to me, all who labor, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. That is a promise from the word of God that I can tell you is truth. He will do that. Why do I know? Because I've experienced it, and many of you have experienced it. Because you have surrendered your life to Christ, he is trustworthy. Real faith is certain. It's assured. You can live it out because of Christ, which leads us to the second thing. Not only is is faith real, but it leads to a righteous life. It leads to a righteous life. Look at Hebrews 11 again, verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5 open us up. It begins a long list of men and women who had strong convictions, whose lives were completely changed because they had real faith. And we're going to begin to see some of these. Verse 4 and 5 introduce us to Abel and Enoch. Now, Abel and Enoch are great examples of what it looks like to have real faith. But I want want you to hear me. I want to make sure that I'm really clear here on this. Uh, They're not commended because they had perfect character. They're not commended because they had perfect character. They're commended because they had strong faith, because they had a conviction. They believed God and what it is that he shows. And this is going to show us how it is that we can now live in response to God's commands. Genesis chapter 4, write down. You'll want to go back. Genesis chapter 4, we're introduced to two of Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. They're the first two sons. And Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. They both brought sacrifices to God, but God only accepted Abel's sacrifice. He rejected Cain's. Now, wait a minute. What happened here? You're going to want to go and read and see, but it's not because of what they offered. In fact, it's not even how much they offered. They both offered exactly what it is that God demanded of them, something from the, from the sheepfold and something from the land, but it's how it was offered. Scripture's clear all through the Old Testament that God is more concerned with the heart of the giver than he is the gift that is, bring, that is brought. Now, don't, don't, don't miss this. The gift is important because what God demands, he wants. If he asks us to give something, that gift matters. But the real key is, where's your heart in this? Where is the heart of the giver? 
Notice here what, it, what happens. God rejected Cain's sacrifice because he was offering the leftovers out of duty, not out of delight, not out of love. He was offering, he was just going through the motions with bringing something. You'll want to go back and read Genesis 4 today because it's enthralling about how the Lord speaks. In fact, the Lord even speaks to him and says, why are you down? He has a direct conversation with him. God accepted Abel's sacrifice because he offered the first fruits. He offered the best. He brought it out of love and out of faith. You see, his heart wasn't disconnected. He didn't come thinking, how much do I have to give? He came thinking, what else can I give? What is it that I can bring to him? You see, Abel's real faith led him to a real sacrifice, a real righteous life. And it cost him. It ended up costing him. The question for us today, and I think as we see this lived out presently in our own world today, I think sometimes what we end up seeing is this lived out in a very, uh, well, a convenience to the church, to be real honest with you. How often do I need to? It sounds much like it did when I was getting the syllabus in college. Oh, I can miss X amount of classes and still pass this? Check, I'm in for that. Oftentimes we think, uh, how, how often do I need to go? Listen, the question is, is, man, I get to go. I get to go before the Father because he has sacrificed for me because I have real faith. I want to be with the body of people. Now, that listen, I you're going to be sick. You're going to be providentially hindered from being with your body. I understand that. The question, though, is, is when you aren't, are you rolling over and becoming bedside Baptist? Or are you like rolling out going, man, I get to go to the, I got to go to the meet with my body today. Is it how much money do I need to give? How much can I get? Listen, I got a 20 here. I'll toss that in there. Does God not understand my budget? Yes, he understands your budget. My goodness, the question is, is he wants you to go, do you understand his budget? He's the one that owns a cattle on the thousand hills. He's the one that rearranges economies. And he says, listen, you give back to me. Don't hold back from me. You give, you sow. This is why we talk often about uh, tithing. We want you to be generous with the Lord. Often what I hear is people go, man, listen, we, that's, that's Old Testament. That's law. We're under grace now. What people fail to remember is this, is that grace always exceeds the law. And so when I hear that, what I automatically think is, oh, okay, you're giving like 20 or 30%. Listen, the Lord has called us to bring the first fruit, to give back to him, to be generous to him because he's the one that rearranges. He knows where you are and he's asking, listen, as a real faith, Will you not just be righteously ex ex exhibit that faith? God, my finances are yours. God, my time is yours. God, my mind is yours. God, my family is yours. God, my car, my home, it's all yours. And in faith, because you sacrificed all, now I give you all. It's not what can I keep back, Father? It's what can I give? What do you want? How can I be involved? This is what we begin to see. Do we have a desire to walk in obedience more and more? I want to be real careful here. We can't 
buy God's love. We can't buy our acceptance. We can't buy our faith. We can't work our way in. But real faith exhibits itself with open hands, not clenched fists. How much can I keep? It's open arms. God, because you worked, because you gave, because I've been changed, because I have assurance that you're going to meet my every need, because you're going to meet all my time needs, because you're going to meet my family needs. You're going to, God, I stand on the word of God. My hope is secure. I know this to be true. No matter what happens, I'm trusting in you. And it's yours. This is what real faith leads to righteous living. Quickly, verse 5 talks about a man named Enoch. You've seen Abel and now Enoch. Enoch is found in Genesis chapter 5. We don't know a whole lot about Enoch at all. Okay, What we do know is he was the father of Methuselah. Have you ever heard someone say, boy, he's as old as Methuselah? Well, Methuselah was 969 years old, so you're not that old, all right? He was also the, the, the great-grandfather of Noah. The Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 5 that he lived to be 365 years old. All of those things aren't what I think make him one of the great examples of faith. Look at Genesis 5.24. Genesis 5.24 says this. It says, he walked with God. Notice that. He walked with God. And then he was not, for God took him. I think those four words right there show what righteous living is truly all about. Walking with God. I've experienced a real faith, the free gift of faith from God the Father who opened my eyes, who saved me. As I surrendered and walked in obedience, I repented. And now then I begin to live that out in a righteous life. My real faith is exhibited out and that is walking with God. That's what it means to walk with God. I think so often, have you ever thought about, maybe you've thought before, it appears that the church seems really weak today. Do you realize that all across Rutherford County, Tennessee, and the United States, do you realize churches are closing at a rapid rate? And when I say closing, I don't mean like, okay, it's time to go. I mean like, no, they're locking the doors. What are we going to do? There, there's, there's no multiplication. There's no reproduction. Churches are dying. Do you know what I think some of that could be, to be real honest with you? It's because that we are more along the lines of what might be called a theoretical the, uh, theist, but we live as a practical atheist. Oh, I believe in God. Good, the demons do also, the scripture tells us. I believe in God, but I don't believe God. And I want to make sure that you hear me real quick. I want to distinguish something. Real faith believes in God alone for salvation. But real faith also believes God, that what he says 
It is lived out in a righteous life. It's lived out. You see, we no longer are saved by following the law, but once we are saved, we begin to follow what his word says. We begin to live that out. And it begins to lead us into a life that reflects Jesus Christ as our Savior. That the world begins to look at you and go, hey, there's something different about your life. You, you, you live differently. Things are different for you. You see, real faith, real assurance, real certainty, real hope built on a foundation that is strong leads to a life that is built strong that looks, that looks vastly different than all the other houses on the cul-de-sac. This is what it means to live by faith. The free gift that God gives. Listen, and, and it's not calling us to be perfect in our acts. We're not perfect. Man, none of us are perfect. But I do want you to hear that we are perfected in Christ. In Christ, we are viewed as perfect. Though we will never live perfectly. And thank God that we, Jesus is the only one who did that. He is our greater righteousness. He is our righteousness. He is our greater sacrifice. He is our greater brother. He is our Savior. And real faith can only be found. It's not found in higher education. It's not found in higher experiences. It's not found in some sort of higher mind. It's found in Jesus Christ alone. You see, our opinions are not built on what men say. Our opinions, our faith is built on what the Word of God has to say. And today, listen, verse 6 is very plain to us. Look at Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6 says this. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You know what the great th truth of this is? Is that without him giving us faith, we could never follow him to begin with. He loves us so much that while we were yet dead in our trespasses and sins, he opened your eyes. He called you from death to life. He made you who once were blind to be able to see. And now, because we have real faith, we are able to walk in his ways, to follow his word, to receive forgiveness. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. For those of you in here who've never experienced Christ, you, I mean, like, I know who he is. Yeah, I know who he is, but I've never surrendered my life to him. Do you know that today your act of obedience and faith is to surrender life to him? How do I know, Kyle, that that's what I need to do? Well, the fact that he's stirring in you right now, there's something in you that is saying, yeah, what this guy says is right. That's not because I'm a good speaker. That's because the Holy Spirit is working in you and he's calling you to respond to him. Some of you in here today, you're, because you receive life, you have real faith Maybe today your act of turning back is, God, I want to bring my life into alignment. Where I've not been walking with surety, where I've not been walking with certainty, where my life hasn't been, I, God, I've believed in you, 
but I've not been believing you. Father, I come to you today and I return. I'm going to believe your word. Holy Spirit, I need you to empower me to accomplish. This is what the Lord has called us to today. The scripture tells us that a measure of faith has been given to all of us. A measure of faith has been given to all of us. You know, my measure of faith is different than your measure of faith. I look at different folks and I, who I think are truly, boy, those are some faithful people. And I, sometimes I think, boy, I could do what the Lord wants me to do if I had their faith also. That's not how it works. The Lord's given me a measure of faith that he desires that I exercise the faith that he has given to me. That's like wanting someone else's muscles. I've only got the muscles I've got. My muscles will look halfway decent if I just exercise them, or at least I think they would. Listen, here's what I know. The faith that he's given you is the faith that he's calling you to exercise. And the exercising of it will prove that you have real faith, and it leads to righteous living. This is what we call you to today. This is what the Spirit speaks to you today. Father, I love you and I thank you. I ask you today, God, would you please save people? Would you call them to repentance? Jesus, I'm asking that today if there's someone in here who needs to return to you, would you give them, um, give them everything they need to recognize that? Your Holy Spirit, would you, Holy Spirit, would you guide them? Would you convict them? Holy Spirit, would you save people today? We trust the reading of your word. We trust the singing of your word. And we ask now that you would do what only you can do. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen.